Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I'm going to pray. We're going to go on the message. Uh, the title is The Making of a Great Church. And the title today uh, is A Great Church Knows How to Fight. Everybody's fight. Come on. Mm. Uh, this is where the series was birthed. I never want to just pick up from where we left off because some people are brand new. It was a verse in John 2, and it actually started with a prayer that I, when I was on a three-week kind of just um, sabbatical, but then some family stuff came up. But anyways, my three weeks, uh, I was asking the Lord simply this. Is Mission Church a church that makes you want to puke, or does it please you? It's, it's in Revelation 3. Churches actually make God puke, some of them, okay? And so I was like, Lord, I don't want to pastor a church that makes you go like, this is, I didn't die for this. I didn't die for some show. I didn't die for some entertainment. I didn't die for just some Sunday. I didn't die for people to come and go and feel like if they just hear one message once a week, they're going to be better. I died to transform people's lives, to save them from heaven, to to heaven from hell. This is what Jesus died for. And so I saw this in John 2, and it's just a verse I love reading uh, when we start the series. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he just saw a church that was a terrible church. Jesus didn't like bad church. So he saw them selling doves. He said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. We're selling gear today. Totally different. Don't be religious. All right. Um, It's totally different, I promise. They were ripping people off for sacrifices. It was gross, the context. Uh, Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. God's passionate about his house becoming everything it's supposed to be. Because his house isn't actually a building. It's passionate about your life becoming everything it's supposed to be. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He goes, at some point, either the church will allow the seriousness of the preaching of the gospel to win the day. Or the church will choose entertainment or religion of its customers as its ultimate pursuit. When the latter choice is made, the urgent gospel of salvation from judgment will no longer be allowed to be threatened. The good vibes of the entertained church or the ritualistic preference of religion will take over. So Spurgeon warns, the preaching of Christ usually ceases when these preferences come in. These things are opposed in spirit. That one or the other will have to be dropped. Which one will it be? And I want you to catch this real quick. At some point, we'll be tempted to become the religious church. A religious church really starts to go like, all right, we need to be more liturgical. We need to do more things in order like this. And Charles Spurgeon, by the way, was the greatest preacher of his era. He was called the Prince of Preachers. So he's not saying that church shouldn't be great. Like great worship is not like, the better the singer and the better the team doesn't mean it's like less anointed. Like, so some people are like, well, you know what? We're going to have a holy church. We're going to get terrible worship pastors and we're going to turn the sound down and we're not going to worship great songs. We're going to worship God. It doesn't honor God. God likes talented musicians. When he built his thing, he brought talented people to build this. Talent is good. It's not a bad thing. But Jesus' presence is everything. You catch this. And so also bad preaching isn't more holy. Like that's not like what he's trying to communicate. What he is trying to communicate is we need to be a church that never, ever succumbs to the pressure to be more religious. You guys should dress different on Sunday. Tell me where that's in the Bible. You guys shouldn't dye your hair bright blonde. Tell me where that's in the Bible. I looked. I did look. I was like, Caleb, scripture, you can't do it. Didn't work. Um, sorry. Religion doesn't make a great church. It makes a dead church. Just give a heads up. You love religious preference. It doesn't make a live church. It, makes, it just makes a dead church. An entertaining church does not make a great church. It makes a dead church. This is a Tyler Johnson original. Never good to follow Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to go for it. So here's what it makes a great church. This is things that I've been writing down in my own heart, journaling, and just I never want to leave. 
This is what a great church is. A church that worships Jesus, prays to Jesus, loves like Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit like Jesus, disciples people to be more like Jesus. A church that points to Jesus is a great church because you don't come to church to get saved. You come to Jesus to get saved. And when you're in church pointing the whole time from worship, prayer, and the message of Jesus, that's when you're a great church. That's when you're a great church. You don't come to church to get saved. You come to church, and when you're at church, everybody's going, oh, Jesus, hey, guess what? Guess who changed my life? Jesus. Hey, I didn't have any peace. Guess who changed my life? Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to actually disciple people to be more like Jesus. Not some religious idea. It's just be like Jesus. Jesus is love. We're going to love people. So today, I'm going to teach you how to fight like Jesus. I'm going to teach you how to fight because I believe the enemy wants to destroy everything that's valuable to you. And for you to walk out of here today and not know that you actually have some weapons in your tool belt to defeat the enemy, it would be a disservice to you. Will you bow your heads? So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the people here. I thank you for even just the growth of the church. I think of your uh, um, scripture in Mark 2 where it just says Jesus was teaching the word and the house was packed. All I got to do is teach the word. All I got to do is read the Bible. All I got to do is start talking about Jesus and the house will be packed. So, Lord, thank you for filling the house. You're the one who's doing this. You're the one who's moving hearts. You're the one who is knitting this church together. It's all you. And so, Father, I pray my words would follow the floor and your words would soar. And everybody said? All right, so Paul is writing to a couple different churches. He wants them to be great churches. He wants them to be able to fight the way we're supposed to fight. So I'm read you two verses, and we'll go into the illustration. Here we go. Ephesians 4. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is what we're fighting against. So he says this to the church of Ephesus. Hey, one final word. You're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your boss. You're not fighting the people at church that are gossiping about you. The person that's hurting you, what's going on? You're not fighting them. You're fighting the powers of darkness that are actually influencing those people to do what they're doing. Fight the, power, fight the root. Don't fight the symptom. Goes on to say in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, same thing. Hey, we are human. We're human. He sets us straight. But... We don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Stop. In 1992, the greatest sports team ever assembled with the greatest athlete ever to live was put together, and they were called the Dream Team. Put it on the screen real quick. Let's give some props to the Dream Team. You got the picture? The picture? Yes, the Dream Team. I planned my... Recess play, my outdoor tag games around the games of the 92 Dream Team. I was 10 years old at the time. Here's a couple of players you may know. Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Christian Leitner. He didn't play at all. He was a college guy. He would actually be kind of giving him a bust, but that's okay. Scotty Pippen, John Stockton, Clyde Drexler, Chris Mullen, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and the all-time greatest GOAT of all time, Michael Jordan. Okay, um, Greatest athlete. Now, I'm not talking about basketball. I'm talking about everything. Okay, Everything. If you don't agree with that, find another church. Okay? Um, <laughs> This is a great church. We have the greatest athletes. Kobe Bryant, go find another church. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kobe's a close 10th, okay? Um, so in 1992, this team was assembled. They blazed through eight games. Average margin of victory was 43 points. They beat one team by 83 points. It was one of the coolest things a little kid to watch. You got to watch your heroes assemble. The Avengers actually was a copycat of the 92 Dream Team, okay? You should know that. The Avengers like, oh, this has never been done before. Yeah, huh? 92, okay? They brought together Thor and the Hulk and, and Iron Man, all of the above, and they put them together, and they demolished the whole world. 2004, they put together the USA basketball team. I didn't even put a picture up for them because they don't deserve it, okay? 
LeBron James. I like LeBron, but still LeBron was on the team. Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson, Amari Stoudemire, Carmel Anthony. The greatest athletes at the time, 2004. This is the 2004 Dream Team. And that year in the Olympics in 2004, they lost to Puerto Rico. <laughs> Spain. Argentina. They, lose, they lost three times. Argentina was the goal. They were third place. And you've got to ask yourself, hold on a second. The, two, the, the, the 2004 team, you're way more talented than they are. You're bigger, stronger, you're better. You're the best of the best of the best. How are you losing to an inferior opponent? How is this happening? Let's make this biblical. Turn them off. Okay. 2,000 years ago, the ultimate team was assembled, and it was the church. And the Holy Spirit fell on 120 people and changed. Thousands of people came to know the Lord that day. And from that point on, they just started taking back ground one after another. Great book, The Rise of Christianity, by an author named Stark. And talks about how when people were flooding out of towns of plagues, the, the Christians were sprinting in to take care of the sick. Talks about the way that Christians would elevate, uh, man, racism. You think it's relevant today? It was just as relevant in the biblical times. And the Christians were the ones that would fight racism and oppression of, of females and, and, and of different races. They were the ones that were elevating. And then something happened. Because if I could be honest, the church in America, to an extent, reminds me more than 2004 NBA uh, Dream Team, more than the 92 Dream Team. We are getting demolished by an inferior opponent. We are not taking back ground the way the church should in America with everything that we have. We have the greatest message there is to be preached. We have the greatest savior there is to be preached. We have the greatest power there is to be preached. And you should be the greatest disciples that the, this world has ever seen. But something's happened. We relied on our own talent and academics. Because the 2014, they used this term called isoball. Everybody say isoball. And isoball has made it in the church. It's called iso-Christianity. You were never meant to do life alone. My first point in teaching you how to fight, a great church doesn't fight alone. They fight together. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's fight together. I like the giggles. Let's fight together. <laughs> we're going to beat up today. <laughs> it's going to be good. We don't fight alone. We fight together. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4. Very famous verse, but I want you to hear this real quick. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. This scripture is screaming to you and I. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, not one by one, for a reason. Jesus did nothing alone except praying. And sometimes he even prayed with people. He's always doing life together with people. In our culture, if I'm being honest, man, we do ISO, so many things. ISO marriage. It's our marriage. We're just going to take care of it. Don't tell anybody that we have struggles. It's our marriage. We're going to figure it out. ISO marriage. ISO marriage. We raise our kids. ISO. Our kids, okay, uh, our kids are great. Because if I'm being honest, I'll, I'll just wrote this down real quick. We put our celebrations out publicly. We put our dreams out publicly. But we handle our nightmares privately. Hey, how's Timmy? Well, Timmy's great. He's going to his dream school. Oh, good talk. Good for Timmy. What I didn't tell you is Timmy's living his nightmare right now. Timmy's going through depression. Timmy's addicted to drugs. This is what Timmy's doing. But we don't tell anything about it. We hide that for Timmy because we want to be a private family. We, hire, we, we handle everything privately. 
Two families rallying around a kid who's hurting is better than one family. Families saying, we were there too, and this is how we helped our kid. I struggle with addiction, and my wife and I know, and we, I struggle with this. If, if I'm just being honest, if you're somebody who struggles with lust or alcohol or anything, you're not supposed to do this alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. I, I, I want to live a righteous life. And when I've realized I can't do it alone, I'll just chill on myself real quick. My wife, it's not, I've never, before I preface this, you're like, oh, what does this mean for you? I've never, ever been addicted to pornography, but here's why. I've never done it alone. Never. I've always had accountability software. I've never been ISOed in my own thing. I can't even download apps on my phone without my wife typing the password in. That's extreme. No. I don't want to do life alone. I don't want to be left alone to be tempted by the enemy on a hard day and make a terrible decision that would hurt me and hurt my family and hurt my ministry. But so many of us think we can do it on ourselves. How many times have you said to yourself, let's just be honest, today's a new day, I'm going to grit my way through it. Where does it say in Scripture, grit your way through it? Turn to your neighbor and say, knock it off. Yeah. Turn to your other neighbor that you pick first. It's all good. And say, knock it off. <laughs> I want to share two stories because I believe this, that you need to find people. And you don't find them anywhere. You find them in the church. You need to find people that will roll with you when you're in a limo season. That's the best season of your life. Like, who doesn't want If you call me today, hey, I got a free limo. We're going to go to lunch. You want to come? I'd be like, I'm coming. Of course I'm going to ride in a limo with you. I'll rock it. You're like, hey, I got a limo, and I got uh, a free uh, lunch for us to go to French Laundry. I'd be like, I'm coming, okay? You need people to roll with you in those seasons, but you also need people to roll with you to this. I just lost my job, and I got a bus pass. Will you roll with me in the bus? You need people to roll with you in the limo and the bus. And that's what you need to find. And so I want to share two quick illustrations to show the, the, the difference of who you roll with is everything. Who you roll with is everything. And if you roll with anybody, and nobody is everything, so I'll just start with a Disneyland story. That makes sense. Let's go to Disneyland. Okay, so I'm um, in Bible college, me and three other buddies, uh, Jake, Kyle, and TD. We go to Disneyland. We went to T uh, Disneyland decent miles, about 30 minutes away from our Bible college. And we get there, and it's probably like 20 minutes in, and Jake goes, oh, I got a tummy ache. I got a tummy ache. And we're like, uh, I'm not your mommy. Like, okay, big deal. You got a tummy ache, man. Like, like, like just push through. We're at Disneyland, you know? And he's like, I don't, and we're like, okay, let's go get you something to eat. Maybe you need to put something in your tummy. And so, uh, so then we go to uh, Jamba Juice to get him a shake. We knew these like off the menu orders. If you don't know about them, one is peanut butter and jelly. It's amazing. And another one's Fruity Pebbles. Go to Jamba Juice, order them. You're welcome. Okay. So anyways, so we're ordering a, a PB&J uh, smoothie and then a, a Fruity Pebble one. And while we're ordering them, Jake literally just passes out. And we're, I was like, oh my gosh, this is downtown Disney. Passes out. He's on the ground. Kyle, cat-like reflexes, actually caught him while he fell and then set him on the ground. And then out of nowhere, because it's Disneyland, like the paramedics out of the ground just show up. They're like, <laughs> somebody pass out, you know? I was like, where did you come from? You know? Found out that they don't want anybody dying in the park. It's a bad pub. So uh, they're like, oh, get him, get him out of here, you know? Um, so anyways, so they check out Jake. And Lost was big at the time. Who used to be a Lost fan? Great show, ended terribly. Different discussion. Anyways, um, so... So they start checking him in, and I was like, you know what, his stomach hurts, and in that episode of Lost the night before, kind of crazy, but uh, it, somebody had appendicitis, and they had to figure out how to save him on an island, because if you're not in the States, it's a lot harder, so I was like, maybe it's appendicitis, and the um, paramedic looked at me, and he's like, bro, back up, man, this is my job, you know, and he's like, he's like, it's the other side, wrong side, sir, and I was like, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, hey, man, hey, hey, I'll be over here, I'll be over here, I'll be over here, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great, um, and so... Finally, like, here, hey, he's got low blood sugar. Have him drink his shake. He'll be fine. And so, 
So then he wakes up, he drinks a shake for about five minutes, and that five minutes for me felt like an hour. I was like, are we going to go ride California screaming or not, you know? It's now called the Incredible Coaster. But, and, uh, and so finally Jake's like, okay, I'm, I, I think I feel a little better. So he starts walking, and, and he's pushing through. I mean, you can see, like, Jake's like, <sighs> you know? And we're like, and if you know the, the park, the California screaming now is called Incredible Coaster. is in the corner of the thing, like, Again, rolling with the wrong people today, Jake, but that's a different story. Um, so we get there. We make Jake ride the coaster with us, okay? He goes on the coaster. He gets off the coaster, and he is just pale white, and he's like, I got to go back home, guys. And I was like, oh, dang, you don't. Yeah, we should probably go home. And to be honest, I was like, man, like, I want to have fun today. I had about six hours budgeted for six rides, and homeboy with a tummy ache, and then we're going to have to leave Disneyland. This is how all of us are processing, by the way. And so we start walking, Okay. I'm not, this, both of these stories I'm about to share make me look terrible. I've been sanctified. I love Jesus now, okay? Um, Bible college hasn't set in yet. So, uh, so, so me, Kyle, and TD, we're walking and talking, and we're like, da 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 And as we're walking and talking, we don't see Jake anymore. We're like, where did Jake go? And we look back like 100 feet, and there was this crowd of people around a guy who had fell straight on his face. And again, the paramedics, you know, they run up and I was like, is that Jake on the ground? And like, we walk up like, oh my gosh, it's Jake. He's, he passed out again. Like, how in the world did we leave Jake behind us? If you know anything about me, I walk fast. I always, if you walk with me, I'm usually walking in front of you because I'm racing everybody, but it's a different story. Um, terrible friend moment. Okay. Terrible. He skidded his face, hurt his, I mean, when you pass out on cement, it doesn't feel very good, and I've never done that before, but Jake did it, okay? And so paramedics go, oh my gosh, this may be appendicitis. They get him in the uh, ambulance, send him to the hospital, and his appendix was actually bursting, and they saved his life. It was crazy. Like, it was like starting to, I don't know what, how to describe it, it was like oozing a little bit, and the fat was getting around it, and if it, it would have been a little bit longer, he actually could have died. Catch this real quick. When you're around people, but the wrong people, you can be surrounded by a lot of people, but man, you can feel really lonely. Jake was around three people, but he was by himself that day. He was by himself to fend for his own sickness that was going on, something that was literally going to kill him physically. He had three people that were his friends that were more worried about being entertained and having a good time than actually about his health. And a lot of you, you may feel like, I've got friends, I feel surrounded, but do you have friends? Or do you feel like, man, I who are those people that I know, that I know, that I know if I was going through something, that they would be there in a second, they would care more about my needs than theirs? Because right now, the culture, they've shown it that we are in the most relational poverty season of life in America. Facebook friends, Instagram, whatever, but when it comes to actually being real friends, you're surrounded by thousands and millions, especially where people are moving now, but you still feel alone. You've got to find a way, and the church shows it, it's the mechanism to create great community. The Bible says that actually Jesus breathes on relationship in the church. It says he nourishes the relationship in a church. That he knits it, the body together. That he teaches us how to actually foster great relationship, to fight for great relationship. So let's look on the other side. Here's, here's what it looks like to roll with a great group of people. So about four years ago, uh, we go to the city for Tony's Pizza. It's ranked like top five. Who's been to Tony's Pizza? It's amazing. Yeah, come on. Shout out, okay? So Tony's Pizza, delicious pizza. We show up, and about 10 minutes in, I start to have this terrible pain in my stomach. Like terrible, like one to ten, it had to be like a six at this moment. I was like, oh, like I could barely breathe. It was hurting. We ordered the pizza. Caleb's there. My wife's there. And so we're sitting there, and Caleb and I and Rachel, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, this hurts so bad. And so I'm like, okay, I, I gotta get up. I gotta get up. I gotta get up. And so I get up and I walk around, and nothing. I go to the men's room, and just nothing happens, and I just feel terrible. And 
bear with me, TMI, but it's, it's part of the story. And it's like, oh, what's going on? And um, I try to think, do I say bathroom, restroom, or men's room? No matter what, it just sounds terrible. Um, and I was like, oh. so, I, so then I walk back to the table, and my eyes are a little glossy. And Rachel goes, we got to go. Food had just been delivered. We had the margarita who won the World Series of Pizza with that margarita pizza. We had a big old New York pizza, the Bacante. Everything had just been delivered. And they said, let's get out of here. You don't look good. And so we get in the car, and I'm sitting there. And now it's like, a, it's like an eight. And I'm like, oh, it's, ah, I, okay, I'm calling Joey. Joe, my Joey's a childhood buddy from third grade. He'll be here next week actually visiting. Uh, his wife's pregnant. They're going to have a little baby moon. We'll go to Monterey. It's going to be great. Um, but Joey... Uh, Joey is uh, a doctor. So I'm like, I'm going to call Joey. I'm going to call Joey. He'll, he'll tell me what's going on. He didn't answer. He was working. I get that. Okay. So then Caleb calls his mom, who's a nurse. Like, and he goes, hey, this is what Tyler's symptoms are. What should we do? We're driving to the ER. She's like, okay, uh, it could be some trapped air. It could be a lot of things. Get him some Maalox. Have him drink that. And if it subsides, then he doesn't have an appendicitis. So then we, we see a CVS in the city. And, and so Caleb's like, okay, I'm going to go run and get it. So, so Caleb runs into CVS. And I'm like, okay, he'll be back in about a minute or two. And I'll be able to drink it and hopefully I'll be okay. Five minutes goes by. I'm like, where the heck is this guy? It's Maalox. Ten minutes goes by. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, like I said, heck, sorry. And, and I, was like, I was like, I'm dying over here, man. Like, what are you, shopping? You know, like, you're like, ha-da-da-da-da, cereal, ha-da-da-da-da, milk, da-da-da. Oh, yeah, I got to get tired of Maalox. He's dying, da-da-da-da-da, you know. Fifteen minutes goes by. And I'm like, where is he? And I started like, I'm like, Rachel, what, what is, what, what is Caleb, did he not, does he not know what's happening right now? Caleb runs in the car, I'm so sorry I'm late. The CVS, when I was in there, right at whatever one it was, he goes, he goes, it got robbed and they shut the thing down and I had to hide in an aisle. <laughs> so Caleb's in there and some guy's robbing it and Caleb's like, oh my gosh, and he hides. And, and so Caleb's risking his life, he's going to die. And I'm like, where is this guy? Just give me the Maalox. You know, and, and Caleb was like, I'm sorry, he was being robbed, it was really scary, here's your Maalox. You know, and so I'm sitting there, and Kayla's in the back, and I, and I you know, I open the Maalox, and you get, my wife knows it's about me. When I get sick, I'm super dramatic, so I was like, oh, it's the lid, you know. I drive her nuts when I'm sick, but that's a different story. Pray for her empathy. Um, anyways, and so I start, I drink the Maalox. I'm like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We got to get out of this city first of all. Things are getting robbed. I was like, drive me to like the East Bay. We'll go to an ER in Walnut Creek, Santa Monica, somewhere, and we'll see what happens. You know, if there's appendicitis. So I drink the Maalox. About 15 minutes goes by. And I felt great. <laughs> Just a little bit of air. That's all. Now, don't judge me, because I found out. Here's the deal: I, had, I hadn't uh, drink any so, drank any soda for a long time. I had a little bit of root beer, uh, and my buddy has told me this: that those kind of air pockets can like feel like a one to ten, like a seven or eight, like where like it can be debilitating. So I'm not a wuss, okay? But it was just air. But within 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, my wife's like driving, calling, Caleb's risking his life, and I'm all better in 30 minutes because I'm rolling with people that say, I'll walk away from anything when you need me. There's, there's, give, that, give that a clap, actually. That's a good clap. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't do a great job with allowing the claps to happen. I'm going to get better at that. I wrote this down real quick. How many people's stories could have been different if they had a group of people fighting for them. They fought for me when I couldn't fight for myself. How many people's marriages could be different if they had other marriages rallying around them? It's a very simple principle, but we, we're not built to do life alone. We're not built to fight alone. Now, some of you may hear this 
and you are hearing this through a consumer mindset. Because right now, this may sound really good to you. This may sound amazing to you. Like, I'm in. I'm at the church. I'll take three friends that will do anything for me. It's almost like you come to church, and this is how people feel something. Like they come shopping like, all right, here's what I want. I want uh, three guys to golf with on Friday. Um, I want some friends that I never really call, check in, or invest in. But when I have a hard time, oh, they better be there or else I'm going to be wounded. I'm going to go find another church that will give me three friends for hire. This is what happens with a lot. Of, man, people come with some terrible consumer expectations from the people in the church. And even as a pastor, they come with these interesting expectations that the, the pastor is supposed to meet every single need. I can't be everything to everyone. I'm one person. The church will not be built on the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. So again, you are going to labor for something in life. Labor for a job. Labor for a hobby you really like. But God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. This season, find some friends that will fight with you. Go to a small group. Because this isn't a church that does small groups. We're a church made up of small groups. There's a, there's a big nuance. We don't just do, no, we're a church made up of small groups. My desire is for everybody in our church to be in a small group. Not just so you're in a group, but that's where you find friends. That's where you find best friends. I got invited to go golfing with, is Tom Glazer in the first service? He's the second service guy. Tom, I didn't know Tom Glazer from Adam. He invited me to go golfing. But it was a really nice golf course, so I decided to go. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was TBC Stonebrae. It was like private club. I'm in. Um, didn't know these three people, but I went and hung out with Tom, and it was fun. But it wasn't like, oh, Tom's all right. He's my best buddy now. I can call him anytime. I hung out with Tom again. Then we made our wives hang out with each other. Like you guys be best friends too, okay? And uh, when we planned the church, I don't know if I would have been able to do it without Tom in my life. I'm, I'm not. That's not an exaggeration. I have hard days. I'd be afraid. It'd be like things like, I don't know if it's going to go. And Tom would be like, hey, if the church fails, I'll just hire Glazer still. Okay, I'm good now. But also he'd pray with me, process on hard days. You've got to have people like that, but it doesn't happen overnight. It may take you a year, but then for the rest of your life, it's a great investment. Yes? Can I get amen? amen. All right, let's go to the second point. We only have two today, so bear with me. So we don't fight alone, we fight together. Second point is this. We don't fight like this world. So he's saying, hey, we don't fight with just normal weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. And one of the most powerful weapons we have is this thing called prayer. And I just wrote this very simple thing down. Prayer must become everything God intended to be in our life and the church. Turn your Bibles to Acts 12. Acts 12. We'll read the first four and we'll go into this. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Enemies not trying to make paper cuts in your life. He's trying to make fatal cuts in your life. The church was expanding and the enemy went for the head. James had just been beheaded. If you're the head of your household or if you're somebody who's living life, you need to know something. The enemy's not trying to just hurt your pinky toe. He's trying to go for the jugular. And so the enemy literally kills one of the apostles. And the church, that, it would affect you. And even in church today, you need to know something real quick. If the enemy's attacking you, take it as a compliment. You're in the right direction. Come on, here we go. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Everybody say earnestly. We're about to read into this text, and we're going to find out what's more powerful, Herod's prison 
or the church's prayers. And I think that this region is going to find out what's more powerful, the prison of depression, the prison of anxiety, or the church's prayers. I think the world's going to find out what's more powerful, division or the church's prayers. And so this is what happens. This word earnestly, you'll see this when Jesus is actually praying, when he's sweating blood. You'll see this word used a handful of times, but you've got to ask yourself real quick. You don't have to say it a lot. When's the last time you prayed earnestly? Earnestly for your marriage. Earnestly for your life. Earnestly for your promise. Earnestly to be free. Because a lot of us, we come and there's a song, I don't know if you know it, but there's, I'll just sing the song to kind of show you the term. Sometimes we just you know, pray this way. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you just, well, I prayed today, Lord. Everything should be fine. What? When's the last time he said, this is how I fight my battles? Oh, that actually sounded okay. Shocked. There's something to be said, even when Moses would raise his hands, they would have victory. When he would drop his hands, they would be defeated. When's the last time you raised your hands in your house and said, God, I declare victory over this house? God, I help. I'm fighting with my wife right now. Will you help my wife not be so mean? <laughs> that's not my marriage right now. We're killing it. Um, I've had that prayer before, but that's okay. And she's probably had the same prayer for me. But when's the last time you just said, I declare today, this house, the enemy has no place. I call upon the name above all names, Jesus, to reign in my life, in my mind, that the promises of God would go forth before me, that where I'd show up, because where Jesus showed up, it always changed. Every place Jesus went, everything changed. People's lives changed. The cities changed. Your life should change when you pray to Jesus. And so you should worship a little, a little different. This is how I fight my battles. Then he comes at you. Man, I don't, when, you know when I came back from sabbatical, you know what I heard? Don't come back. Nobody wants you to come back. I, everybody's like, oh. I was like, that's not, that's not, that can't be from you, God. I got really afraid of flying after Florence, by the way. I haven't shared this yet because it's really embarrassing, but. Like, I can now get anxiety every time I get on a flight. Like, ruined me. And I'm literally going, like, Lord, how do I, how do I get rid of this anxiousness? Like, I'm so, I'm, from the, when the wheels go up, I'm literally like this. Okay, 36 minutes. You know how Southwest shows you how long the flight is? 35 minutes. Okay, 32 minutes. 20, okay, we're at 10,000 feet less, that's better than 30 if we fall. Okay. These are things that are going in my head. Yeah. When did this happen? And so I started going, Lord, I got I to find something out. I, I don't want to be afraid to fly. I've got to fly four times in the next month. I need you to give me something. Think again, he's like, start praying. Start trusting I'm in charge. And I'd love to tell you by the, by the third flight, I was like, this is how I fight my battles. <laughs> no. But before I get on the plane, God, you're in charge. You planned my life from A to Z. I believe your promise for my life. I believe you, God. Give me peace on this flight. May it not steal from my life. Let's keep going. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains before two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Oh, that's good. This is the, this is the, the part of the kingdom I love. Something, there's just something about the, uh, the scripture. It like, like, you know, shout with the loudest voice and then be still in it. Be still and silent and know that he is God. 
So should I shout or should I be still and silent? Which one is it, God? It's both. It's both. Catch this real quick. Some of the greatest things that you can do when you are in battle is just get a good night rest and trust that God is in charge. That do everything God calls you to do. Be obedient. Pray strong. Guarantee you Peter prayed. The church is praying. And this is Peter the night before he knows he's about to be beheaded. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. He goes to sleep. But I thought we're supposed to scream when we fight our battles. Some of the greatest things you can do is save the enemy. I have no idea how tomorrow works out. I don't. But man, God, I prayed. I believe you. And I'm going to get a great night rest tonight because I rest in you. I don't rest in my own strength. Some of you, your, your sleep is being stolen from you because you're being suffocated by worry. You're being suffocated by fear. But man, when you start to really pray, these are two things that happen when I, when I, whenever I pray and praise. One is I do experience peace. And the other thing is I get perspective just in my life and the problem that I'm stressed out by in the perspective of how big God is and really the scheme of things. Some of you need to worry less and pray more. Let me say it another way. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Craig Rochelle. Let's keep going. Suddenly there was a bright light. So the, the, the church is praying. There was a bright light. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a, a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And he opened for them all by itself. So they passed through the star, uh, and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left them. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went home uh, to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that, that it was him. Instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. Can you catch this real quick? Bible's funny. Peter, knock, knock. It's me, Peter. Rhoda's like, that's you, Peter? Yeah, it's me. Awesome, okay. And she just runs away, and Peter's at the front door. It's just adorable, okay? And so, like, Peter's like, hello. I knocked on the door. But she's so caught up, like, oh, my gosh. And here's what's so funny. I love the, I love the response. She comes back. She goes, Peter is standing at the door. These people who are praying earnestly, this is their response. You're out your mind, girl. <laughs> Liddy, you are out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Some of you, you need faith to pray for it, but then you need to start to have faith to actually live it out. Prayed for it. But then actually, are you living out those prayers? Are, are you praying, God, I believe that today's the day where I'm going to actually live a little differently, love a little differently. God, give me, give me power from your Holy Spirit to do what you called me to do. And then start living it. God, I believe that the people that I'm praying for to get saved, I'm actually going to invite them now because I'm going to believe what I've been praying for. Now the door's open and I can open it because they're standing right at the front door ready to say yes. And last but not least, it goes like this. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led them out of the prison. Tell James, the other brothers, what had happened. He said that, and they went to another place. Stop. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with just this verse. And I, if, if you don't know a lot of verses, memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7, okay? I'm going to read it real quick to you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everybody say everything. 
So don't worry about anything, but pray about it. I used to always think the opposite of prayer was no prayer. But I would actually contend with you that the opposite of prayer is worry. That it's, the, it's the way the flesh likes to magnify a problem. Instead of the spirit praying, magnifying who God is. And actually showing you how small the problem is when it comes to God and the problem. He says, do not worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. This is an instruction from God. And even when I read this, I'm like, Lord, when's the last time I really did this? Where I prayed about everything. And then I told you what I needed. And I thank you for all you had done. Because here's what the promise comes with the scripture. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts. There's a battle term. It will guard. Some of you think you just need to keep on taking back ground. Some of the greatest things, you stood firm and you didn't retreat when the worst things happened in your life. But guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word worry is mara now. Uh, it's a Greek word, and you'll find it throughout Scripture. It's in Matthew 6 when Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow, that today takes care of itself, and tomorrow has enough worries in itself. And it's uh, also found in Mark 4 when he's talking about the seeds uh, being um, thrown out on the soil, and it says, do not worry, uh, for, the, for worry will choke out the Word of God. And so you, throughout this Scripture, you, you, you start to study this word worry, and really what it's saying to you is that worry... What it does to us, what it does to you, what it does to me, is that it suffocates, is that it strangles. And so we think about what we actually fight against in this world. Are we fighting against normal things? No, we're not fighting against normal things. We're fighting against things not of this world. And the way the enemy attacks us a lot as humans is it gets us worrying. And we don't understand actually what it's doing to us spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. It's starting to choke and suffocate the things that you're supposed to enjoy in life. God gave you kids but then you're worried so much about your kids that you don't even enjoy your kids. God gave you a job, but then you get so worried that if I lose my job, I won't be able to pay my bills, so you can't even enjoy your job because you're always worried about losing your job. So it suffocates the season because you're worrying about something that you can't control. Do not worry about anything. To the people in the house, I, I would encourage you this year more than any other year to get Philippians 4, 6, and 7 memorized and just start praying every day. I'm not praying a little bit. I'm talking pray a lot. Pray for me a lot. Is that cool? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be selfish with asking for people to pray. You should too. Hey, how you doing? Good. Pray for me. Okay, done. It's weird. Like we, we want so many things from this world. We'll ask for question after question. We'll ask for thing after thing. But really, if we could actually have one thing that's going to change our life like exponentially, it's people praying for you and you praying for people. This thing that is so powerful and such a gift in the church if we're being honest with how much we actually live it, it's valued here right now. We need to bring it to where it's supposed to be. I didn't want to give you a lot of weapons today. I think I wanted to give you one of the most important weapons, and it's just prayer. It's how you talk to God. It's how you wrestle with God. It's how you share your frustrations with God. It's how you ask God for victory. And he says that if you'll humble yourself and pray, I'll hear your prayer. This, this is the character of our God. So this week, I, I was going to say, I thought about like having like a prayer service. Like, we're going to have a prayer service. Now, we do pre-service prayer. It's powerful. But I was like, man, like, why does it always have to depend on an event at the church, us praying? The church doesn't get powerful. We just have a once-a-week event where we pray. I'm down to do that. We're looking at venues. I believe one of the things God wants to do more is worship more and pray more. But the church gets really pow powerful. 
when tomorrow, when all of us wake up and before we leave, man, we pray for this region. We pray for families. We pray for students. We pray against the, the enemy of hell that he would recede. If everybody's praying like that, just watch what happens in this region. We do not fight against normal weapons. We fight against principalities and authorities. And you will not fight them by just worrying about them when you drive. Now just pray the whole way to work this week. See if something changes. We you bow your heads? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.